is Decoding Learning Differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle, and this episode is Fun and Effective Reading Instruction with Laura and Megan of the Developing Readers Academy. They know how to keep reading instruction fun and based in the science of reading. Hello and welcome to Laura and Megan of Developing Readers Academy. Welcome to the podcast. We are so excited to have you on. Will you start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourselves, who you are, what you do, and how you got into it? Absolutely. So Laura and I are, I like to call Laura my work wife because that's basically (laughs) what she is to me. (laughs) We are both former public school teachers. We're best friends. We're moms of young kids. Both, uh, we both have kids who are neurodivergent. So it's a We really feel very passionate about helping all kids learn how to read. And yeah, we were both classroom teachers. We both were reading interventionists and reading specialists as well. And that was our role as we left the classroom and started developing readers. And now, yeah, we are full-time small business owners with Developing Readers Academy. And we're working directly with families to support them and to get their kids reading so that every child can learn how to read, can learn how to spell, and discover how smart and capable they really are. Now, Nalora, you want to add more to that? I was just going to say, we also are moms of young kids, so we are going through this with everyone as our oldest boys are both starting to read, so that's been fun to be on the journey with all of our families. Yeah, I've seen some of your posts, and I'm right exactly there with you guys. My oldest is just learning to read, although then the three-year-old decided she was going to learn how to read too. Well, of course, (laughs) of course those three-year-olds would do that. So now, now they're both kind of learning how to read at their own, you know, pace and everything, but yeah. Yeah. It's so fun as a mom versus a teacher. Yeah. Like it's just like, it's so different and amazing and like eye-opening as a mom versus that classroom perspective. So yeah. Yeah, I was a special education teacher um, and left that. And I so I worked as like the resource teacher, small group, small group, which was fun. And sometimes it was one-on-one, especially when I'm trying to teach a kid how to read. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have all of those struggles. But yeah, so there's similarities, but there's also differences as a mom because we get to have more fun and more, yeah. you know, choosing our schedule on how we're working on things and all of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So why did you guys choose to leave the classroom? Yeah. So I'll tell a little story for this one, if that's okay, of what got us to leave. Um, It was the beginning of our our last year as reading specialists at a school and Laura and I, we sat adjacent to each other. So we're always right next to each other all the time, which she really loved sitting right next to me all day. (laughs) Cracking that jokes all day. hasn't changed. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, anyways, we sat down. It was the beginning of the year. They had just gotten done with beginning of the year testing of all the kids. So we're opening up, we're scrolling through the list of kids that qualified for reading intervention and for us to pull them. And this was a school, I want to say around 800 kids. Is that correct, Laura? At the school mm-hmm. we were at. And we had easily over 200 names on the list. So we had a good chunk of the school that qualified to come get support from us, we only had 50 spots. So Laura and I were tasked with who gets to come sit at our table and get this support 
and who doesn't. And it almost, Laura said it really well earlier is it felt like we were almost like playing God, like you get help and you don't get help and good luck. And it was a lot of pressure and it was, it was terrible. And Laura looked at me and said, this, this isn't right. This isn't how it should be every single year. Because let me tell you, this wasn't the first year this happened. This was every single year we were there and it was building up every single year, how stressful it was and how painful it was. And as our kids got closer to school age, it got scarier for us. Like this is going to be our children one day and people get to decide if they get on the chopping block or if, you know, it was just, it was always awful. And it made us feel like bad teachers. Honestly, we're like, we know we're passionate. We know what we're talking about, but we can't help everyone. And we want to, we want to make a difference, but we just can't under the, the circumstances at school. So we started dreaming. We started after all that, we, we picked our kids and worked with our kids, but we started dreaming about how can we make more of a difference than at this table with these 50 kids at a time, we have so much fire and passion inside of us. What can we do? And Laura was actually, it's a whole separate story, but Laura was the one who came up with the idea of like, how can we take this online? How can we blow this up um, bigger than just our community? We started getting into as many trainings as we could. We got into letters training or Gillingham training. We started attending summits and we read so many science of reading books. Like we just gobbled them up together. We would do our own little book studies, Laura and I, and learn together. And we finally were like, you know what? We, we need to do this. We need to do the scary thing. We need to take the leap of faith that this is what we're called to do. Because I truly feel that's what Laura and I are called to do is to make a bigger impact than what we could have at the public school. So we came down to the decision we met with our principal. We sat in the room together. We did. We went in and we quit together at the same time. It was not a happy day for him. We were ecstatic though. We're like, this is, this is the right move for our life. And um, the big thing that we learned and what we've learned in this, what are we a year and a half about Laura, that we've left mm -hmm. the school system and have been in developing readers. Um, the families that get involved with their children's learning and take more of a hands-on approach, they are the ones that are having kids that are accelerating their growth, whether they're dyslexic, whether they have ADHD, whether no matter what, if the parents are there and we work as a team, because it should be a team effort, parents shouldn't have all the burden and teachers shouldn't have all the burden. If we can work together, we can get our kids on track. And that's really what we've learned in this year and a half, especially working directly with families that your kids can grow, they can accelerate their learning and parents, you play a really impactful role. So, so get in there and be a part of their journey. So yeah, that's kind of how we, how we got here. Yeah. I think that's such a great point. It made me think about when I was special ed teacher, it was, there were kids on my caseload who wouldn't have needed direct services if mm -hmm. their families were able to provide more support at home. Like I could mm -hmm. see that difference because I could see the kids who had very similar profiles, but were getting a lot of extra support at home and didn't need to get pulled out to work on stuff because the parents were doing it at home. And not every family can do that. And right. I definitely respect that and, and want to just help all the kids, however it gets handled. But yeah, the, the, the difference is huge. Absolutely. The difference is huge. Yeah. Um, so how would you, 
guess, what is it that you use as like your cue that this is a struggling reader, like where you would maybe label it as a struggling reader? How would you, how would you identify that person or define that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think Megan, can I say one thing quick before you go for it? Go, go. Because I just, I just love it so much because we actually use the term growing versus glowing. Um, so we say any skill that they have mastered, they glow in. And then instead of struggling, we just felt like that was just such a hard term, you know, to use that now we like to use the term growing, or this is a skill they're still going to grow in. So that's just something kind of fun that we say again and again in our program. So you can jump in, but be- yeah, that that's that a perfect segue of like, one thing we want to do is use data and use, and we actually have an assessment in our program and we call it the glow and grow. So that was perfect. We call it the glow and grow assessment, because I think that is going to be really important for our kids to know their data and know which specific skills do we need to target to move them forward? Because every child will have a different profile. Like you said, they all look a little bit differently. So we do want to have data um, to make sure we are working on the right skills and knowing what your, where your child should be approximately by age and by grade will help as well to know if they're on track. Like if your child is in kindergarten, by the end of kindergarten, they should have pretty strong phonological awareness. They should have very strong letter knowledge. If they don't, that could be an indicator that, okay, they might need more support by the end of first grade. They're building more basic words. They're becoming more fluent. If they're still not fluent, if they still don't know their letters, that means they need some more support by the end of second grade. And this, this is a big time because they really should be more fluent in their reading. They're learning longer and more sophisticated words. They are moving into longer books. If they're not there yet, that might be an indicator. They might need more support. So kind of knowing those big benchmarks and then kind of checking your child's data and where they are can help you see, okay, is this something we need to get more support for or Do they need to just stay on the course that they are? So I think just being aware and for parents, talk to your your child's teacher and their school and kind of see what are the benchmarks they're supposed to be hitting. And again, it's that be a team, be teachers, make sure you're communicating that to parents. What should they be expecting? What should they be seeing? So that we're all working together to make sure every child is getting to where they need to be. And I'm going to piggyback off that just a little bit. I was just going to say too, what we found too, is a lot of times like, you know, second, third grade parents go to conferences and might hear that their child is behind on their fluency score. Cause that's, what's being assessed come second grade, third grade. But a lot of times, um, what parents don't understand is that there are missing skills from even kindergarten, first grade, like phonological awareness, like letter recognition, phonics skills that then lead to fluency later on. And by the time they get to second and third grade, a lot of those teachers aren't teaching those skills anymore because they're not typical second, third grade skills. So really making sure to back up. We have a lot of parents that come into our program and they say, my child knows all their letters are just struggling with fluency. And then we do the glow and grow assessment. And it's like, oh, actually they're missing a lot of their vowel sounds. That's a common one. Or they're unable to break a word apart, which is 
so huge for spelling and writing. It just trickles into everything. So really making sure those foundational skills are there and not missing. And we might assume that they know them, but the glow and grow or any type of assessment like that with phonological awareness and phonics and letter recognition is just so important at any age. We had fifth graders that were still missing a lot of those skills. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen fifth and sixth graders who were reading beautifully and were missing a ton of skills. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it showed up like in their spelling where their spelling was atrocious, but they were reading above their grade level and comprehending really well. And so then I was, you know, sometimes I'd explain to parents like, I'm a really low goal, it seems, except that it's because they don't have these skills and they need these skills to be able to then master this and be able to read those new multisyllabic words that they're going to be getting in middle school and beyond. So yeah. Yes. For long-term success, they need those foundational skills. Even if in third, fourth, fifth grade, it's like they're doing okay. But once they get to middle and high school and they're reading science books that are very content specific, if they don't have the skills to break down a word and decode a word, then we're setting them up for failure later and we're seeing issues later. So that is a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's great. Um, so what are some, some strategies to help prevent, hmm. I would say prevent those struggles from beginning and also prevent things that are struggles from worsening. What are some strategies? I think prevent is the word as much as we can. So parents of babies, like talk to your kids, use fancy language. Phonological awareness is so easy to practice and it can be practiced anywhere, anytime. I mean, just my daughter is three as well. So I have a three-year-old daughter and we sit in the car and we talk about, oh, there's a sign. What's the first word or first sound in sign. And she has to tell me the sound, like just constantly pulling in these things to give our kids those exposures to that early skills. Because if a kid goes into kindergarten without that exposure, it becomes a lot muddier of, is this really, they need help or they just need more time in practice versus if if a kid goes into kindergarten and they've had the exposure, they've been practicing this and they're still struggling, that might get a quicker response of like, okay, we have been trying this. They're still not getting it. And you might be able to get more um, support quicker if they have that. So I just, parents, if you have kids not in school yet, you can still be working on these in a really fun way. It doesn't have to feel like homework or a chore. It can be just really, really fun. Um, but it's, it is very important to prevent that. And then really, if, if you know your child's in school and they're struggling, get support as soon as you can. Yeah. I would much rather overreact and go, okay, I got, I got too much support. Oh no. than underreact and have to underreact and look back and say, man, I wish I would have done this a year ago, man. I wish it would, cause it just gets harder and harder and it just takes longer and longer to fill the gaps for our kids. So I would, if you're in that place of like, I don't know if I should get help. I don't know if I should do anything, just do it. You will thank yourself later. Even if it's like, oh, they would have been okay. Do it, do it, find them help and get them on, on track as soon as you can. Yeah. I was going to say, that's the number one thing we hear from families is I wish we had started this sooner. Like Mm -hmm. I You know, we've never heard anyone say like, oh, I regret giving my child extra support and extra help. 
it's always the opposite, of course. Like, I wish we had started this sooner. And reading to their child every night, that's awesome to build comprehension and vocabulary. But kids need a lot more than that to be successful readers, really targeted. Independent. Skills, right. Yeah. I Every once in a while, I hear a story about a kid who like, is one of those prodigies that like learns to read just by being read to and seeing. Mm -hmm. And I always try to like tell people, especially um, because I homeschool. And so I'll see like in the unschooling community, like, oh yeah, they just pick it up. I'm like, no, it's not like walk learning to walk. Like they have to learn the skills. Yes, it's know. very, very rare for a kid to just pick it up. And when they do, they're mm -hmm. still going to struggle if they haven't learned those foundational skills. Yes. So yeah, it is. There's no, I always ask about spelling. I'm always like, can they spell at the same level that they're reading? I mean, 99.9%. No. <laughs> so that's showing, okay. They do need explicit instruction and all and everything. Right. Well, and they're little sponges. They're so good at memorizing mm -hmm. everything when they're little that then when they get to the bigger words and they don't know how to break them apart, that's right. when it really becomes apparent. And then it's harder to back up and add those skills back in. Yeah. Yeah. And especially without like that, like self-confidence can kind of get hurt yes. because, well, now you're asking them to do things that are babyish yes. and they feel like, no, I already know how to do that. Or they realize they actually don't. And then they feel even worse about themselves. So it, it does to become a difficulty. And I do think, yeah, yeah, I agree. The sooner we get that support, the better. Absolutely. Um, What do you, what do you think is the most important skills to focus on for, for those growing readers? You know, I think the most important thing to do is to have an assessment and to figure out which skill your child needs, what each child needs and find, I, I used to call them red flags. What are their red flags? What you need to work on. Instead, I call them pots of gold lately. I've kind of switched to that. Like, Ooh, we're going to, we're going to dig for some gold. Oh, you need to work on blending sounds. This is a pot of gold. We know this. Let's work on it. So I think really finding out what your child needs and what your students need specifically and targeting that because the, each child will have different um, gaps or they will need different things. And we need to be tailoring our instruction to the gaps that they have or the skills that they need. Um, because the, all of these skills work together. I can't say like phonological awareness is the number one. Phonics is the number one. They all have to come together like that Scarborough, Scarborough's, Scar I'm going to, am I saying that right? The reading rope. They yeah. all have to come and weave together. We can't just have one strand that's stronger, but we need to find which of the strands does each child need and, and target those. I will say though, Megan, doesn't it seem like phonological awareness seems to be the area that is most often overlooked or skipped over I, just I will, yes. an thought, and it is just as important as all those other phonics letter recognition skills. Oh, so yeah. most likely if a child is struggling with spelling, but they can read, they're missing a lot of those phonological awareness skills we find. Well, I look, I taught kindergarten in a balanced literacy district for five years and I didn't know what phonological awareness was and I taught kindergarten and I didn't know what it was. So yes, I skipped. I mean, I got to reading intervention with Laura then and for the next five, six years taught reading intervention and learned, oh gosh, 
I should have been working on this a lot more than I was when I taught kindergarten because this is so essential. So yes, I think there is still not a full understanding universally of how important that is. So it is easy to skip over. And I think parents don't always understand that prerequisite for strong reading. So yeah, I would agree, Laura, completely. Yeah, I, I see like a lot of parents, they get very focused on, oh, they know their alphabet. And maybe that just means they can name the letters or maybe it means they right. can sing the song. Mm-hmm. Maybe it means they also know the the sound, the you know most common sound for each of them. But yeah, there's never that like equal focus on, oh, they're really great at segmenting and blending and writing. Right, like, right. There's that stuff is never celebrated, even though we know like that they, I guess I've known that in some way for so long because of how common like rhyming poems are for kids, all these nursery rhymes, you know, like we teach three-year-olds nursery rhymes all the time and they love it. And why do we do it? I don't think people know why we're always doing that. Absolutely. Right. Um, And then there's different, like the different games that kind of do similar things, which is and it's it kind of stops at rhyming. Like, oh, my kids can rhyme, but there are more skills they need to learn past rhyming, obviously. So, yeah. Yeah. There was one study I was looking at recently that I was, I was interested in because there were some kids that it seemed like no matter what we did, they just couldn't understand rhyming. And then I looked at something and said, it's actually, it's a good indicator that there's a problem but it's not that important to solve that one. We really just have to focus mostly on the segmenting and blending. Blending. Yep. Yep. Those are the, the hit at home skills. Those are the ones. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. Can you share with everybody what some of your favorite strategies are to keep reading practice fun for everybody? Yes, absolutely. Because we are, if you do look at our social media, we love making it fun. Like that is a huge part of it because it can be so much fun. Learning to read can be incredibly fun for everybody. So multi-sensory, anything multi-sensory is great. So I like when we're writing, we might write in pudding or whipped cream or sprinkles let my kids use M&Ms to build words. And then it just becomes kind of a fun time. I know Laura, what's your, what was yours with Jameson? That was so fun. Yeah. My son is very resistant to learning with mom as the teacher. So Megan does the lessons, which is helpful for me, but I kind of have him as a captive audience and we do his lessons when he's in the bathtub. And then if there's writing, then we use shaving cream. And now it's just super fun for him. And he just knows when I take a bath, I'm going to do some learning time. And it's just become a habit and a routine and a fun thing where his almost three-year-old brother is also doing it, like you mentioned. So yeah, it, it can really be done anywhere, anyway. Yeah. And giving your child choice is always a good idea saying, do you want to write with the smelly marker or do you want to write in the pudding or whatever, kind of giving them that a little bit of freedom And then pulling in things that they love. My daughter has a blanket that she loves. So guess what? We're going to learn with Blanky today. We're going to teach her letters today. Yay. Bring Blanky along and kind of bringing those treasured things in and and just including those in. Um, There's so many ways. A cup of hot cocoa. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Learning time. And at the end of the day, 
reading is essential, right? Like this is for our kids to learn how to read and write and communicate with others is essential. So we want to make it fun, but we also know how important it is beyond just that. And I think part of getting our kids reading is that more surface level is adding all that in, but also getting to the deeper stuff. So how can we help them shift their identity to, I am smart, I am capable, I can learn how to read. How do we shape the thoughts that they're having in their head? Because as they get, especially into second grade, third grade on up, if they are struggling, it becomes a self-confidence issue. It becomes an identity issue. And the deeper that gets where they they think they're, I'm terrible, I'm stupid, I can't do this, this is too hard. That is what we need to target for, especially I would say second grade on up. I, everybody, we should be working on, we want their identities to be, I can do this. I am smart. I don't give up. If it gets hard, that's okay. I'm tougher than however tough it gets. And kind of building that resilient attitude and digging a little bit deeper. Let's make it fun at the surface, but let's also show our kids that the mindset part of it is is very important because it is very important in making sure we we get every single child on track because every single child can be successful. It just might take longer for some. They might need more repetition. They might need smaller bits of learning instead of one long lesson, that sort of thing. Um, but kind of digging deeper, working on that identity part with your child and with your students is is really, really important too. And related to that, celebrating every single win, no matter how small it might seem to us. They didn't know the letter C yesterday. Today, they know the letter C. That's huge. Yes. My child wouldn't work with me at all. And now they'll sit with me for five minutes to do some sort of a learning activity. That's a win. That's huge. Celebrate everything. And they can really feel our energy to feed off of each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that so much. Um, and and that that self confidence piece, like you were talking about, that we have that mindset of, I see such a difference than those kids. Like every year, the kids who believed in themselves did so much better than the ones who were just constant negative self talk. Yep. Yep. And once they started to experience success and and really realized, yeah, no, I did that. Mm-hmm. I figured this out because I worked hard, I figured this out. Then they started to gain confidence and then we could finally make progress. Absolutely. But it was like, progress is really hard without confidence. So like, I'm very big on, yeah, that, that confidence piece is super, super important. That mindset, like very, very important. Yeah. And it's a lifelong skill, you know, that applies to everything. So it's a huge thing to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about the the research into like growth mindset, you know, not praising the kid for being smart, but praising their effort yes. and, and those kinds of things to make sure that we're, we're setting them up. Like it's not supposed to feel easy being, mm-hmm. this is really hard. Um, and learning from mistakes, like mistakes are not bad. Oh, yeah. you got some wrong on your spelling test. That's not a bad thing. It means, okay, now I know what we should focus on. So it's kind of reframing that thought of, we don't need to be perfect. We're not. And for us as adults too, our children don't need to be perfect. How can we teach them to reframe that thought and think, okay, 
this was hard for me today. I'm going to practice and maybe tomorrow it'll be a little bit easier and kind of just getting that growth mindset strong so that they, they are persistent. Cause that is it's very, very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are there any, any games like specific games that you've like found these especially <laughs> motivating for kids? My favorite with, with my son at home, but you could absolutely do this in the classroom too. If you're a teacher listening is we do obstacle courses. So we set up, um, mm-hmm like our chairs and our pillows and stuff. And then I just take a post-it note with whatever skill we're working on. I slap them around and then he gets up and moving. We're in Minnesota. So we get a lot of snow. We're stuck inside for like months at a time. So this is like getting up and moving and stuff. And he just, as he runs by, he slaps it, reads it, keeps running. And I have one for my daughter. She gets the letter below and he gets a word above and it just gets us like moving. It's very simple to set up and I can target what I know they need. So that is one of my favorites because I just want, I want it to be a movement based thing as much as possible. Do you have a favorite Laura? Well, I just do something similar, except my children ask for snacks 500 times a day. So I just have a post-it on the refrigerator and they have to pick a word to read to unlock the refrigerator or the snack. And I mean, it's so easy and simple to build in reading right into your day. Like we'll be driving and our license plates have three letters and we try and read the word to see if it's a real word or a nonsense word, or my son will look for words he knows on billboards. Like it's just, you know, very easy to do anywhere, which Mm is, is fun. And I think then the child doesn't even realize that you're making them learn something. They're thinking it's more fun. Yeah. My, my kindergartner recently said, Oh, I don't like practicing reading. I like reading. But then I also know it depends on what that practice looks like. Mm-hmm. And because there's other, you know, certain games that they definitely love. So yep. both of them love it. So yeah. Um, one that we did yesterday, actually with my three-year-old, we had all the little cards in a row. Um, she was working on reading some words had them all in a row and then she had a little pullback card. And so whatever word it stopped at was the one she would read. Um, so she would run and grab it and run and grab the car back. And like, so she was, you know, she was getting her movement that way, running and yeah, she was running, yeah. grabbing, reading it, feeling good about it. Whenever she was done, she was done. That was fine. And then today she set it up and I was like, Hey, where's the car? She's like, I don't know. She's like, I'm going to just throw my dog. So she was just, she like, she <laughs> made her right. own game. She set it all up. She threw the dog. She, Oh, I love that. (laughs) To be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, it's always fun to, to keep it fun. And, and I like when they come up with an idea, like, oh, I had the idea for the pullback car, but now I don't know what to do if you don't have the car. And she's like, I can do this. I got it. I got this mom. Don't worry. (laughs) And then she also, you know, had to like adjust her throw to like land on the cards that she hadn't hit yet. So that was kind of Fun, I guess some gross motor in there too. Yeah, yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. Weave it all together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun. Um, well, thank you guys so much for being on. I would like you guys to share a bit about how people can get more information about what you do. And you can share a little bit more maybe about what exactly it looks like to work with you guys um, and where people can get information. We'll definitely have links below awesome. so that everybody can can find out more. Awesome. Yeah, we have, so right now we have a program called Aspire 
and it's an online on-demand program. We have over 500 mini lessons in there. So we've taken these Orton Gillingham lessons. We've broken them up into short little mini lessons. We go through our glow and grow assessment and give each family the lessons that their child needs to work on. So we can target exactly what each child needs and every family gets their own personalized roadmap to success. And, um, what else, Laura, what am I missing? You add more in our, con- our contact info. No, just our, our contact. contact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So you can reach us at, and we, when we picked our company name, we didn't think about the length of it. So it's nice and long. Here we go. Developingreadersacademy.com is our, our website, or you can email us at hi at developingreadersacademy.com is another way to, if you ever just want to chat for anyone we love, like this is what we are passionate about. So if anyone just has questions or want to chat, that's, we are here for that. So yeah. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, I'm sure lots of people will be interested. So awesome. thank you so much. And this has been really fun. And I love, I always love chatting about all of this stuff. So thank you. Yeah, so much. It is, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah. <laughs>